Welcome again, and uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, This is our final episode in a series where I'm talking with uh, Jimmy Agin on lessons he learned on sabbatical. Uh, My name is Luke Brodine, and uh, the last episodes, uh, we've covered church history uh, and also uh, nature, but uh, now we're going to talk about some lessons that uh, Jimmy learned through relationships uh, uh, that he formed while he was there. Now, Jimmy, in all of uh, your time there, how many different towns did you end up staying in? I I don't have that number. We spent about 50 days walking and stayed in a different place almost every night. So I'm going to put the number somewhere around 50 different villages, towns, cities. Yeah, that's probably on the low side. So, Jimmy, you and Trisha don't strike me as the type of people that... Uh, when you would be at the pub, that you'd be sitting there quietly uh, minding your own business. Um, so tell me about some of the people that I'm, I'm certain that you met uh, in your time in these different places. It, it was a real joy to be with Trisha and to spend this much time together. Um, we had so much fun. Every night was a date night, but also we were both extroverts. And so after spending eight to 10 hours walking together all day long, um, we would both be like, we need to go find people. And uh, so, yeah, we met a lot of people. Um, the story that everybody seems to want to hear, hear about the most is um, a wedding that we went to. So we were walking in Cornwall on the Southwest Coast Path. We walked from St. Ives, um, and to this small village of maybe like 10 or 12 buildings called Zinner. And we go into the Tenor's Arms, this pub that dates from the 1500s. And uh, it's packed because it's the only place in town to get anything to eat or drink. And um, <clears throat> we're having dinner there. And uh, we overhear one of the staff talking to a couple at the table next to us. They're a little bit older than we are. And, um, and they said something about getting married the next day. And so one of us, I can't remember if it was me or Tricia, just said to them, um, so do we understand that there's a wedding tomorrow? And that started this conversation with Jim and Sue. Uh, they said, yeah, we've been together for 47 years, and we figured it was time to go ahead and have a wedding ceremony. And... Um, we talked for about four hours. By the end of the conversation, we're the only four people left in the whole place. Um, and uh, they invited us to a wedding. Uh, so the very next day, it was raining to beat the band. And Trisha and I woke up. And we were like, do we want to spend all day walking in this miserable rain? Or do we want to go to a wedding? Well, we're going to the wedding. And uh, we get to the wedding uh, and I kind of became the impromptu best man because we were the congregation. Um, there were everybody else in the building had something to do. Uh, the person doing the wedding, there was the organist and his wife. Uh, there's a photographer, and there were six bell ringers. At this uh, uh, 12th century Norman church building with all these ancient bells and the people who knew what they were doing to ring them. But there was nobody else just to be the congregation. And as Sue put it on the night before, she was like, please come because we need somebody to sing the congregational hymn. (laughs) Um, 
So it was raining, as I said, and, and Jim walked across the way from the hotel uh, at the pub to the church, only about 30 yards, but he was soaked. And so I'm trying to help him get dried off. Did you know how much water will beat up on the shoulders of a tuxedo? I didn't either. Um, and it was just so fun to be there with them on this day and, and to talk to them about their lives together and to hear stories um, about things that they had done. And uh, they were kind enough to send us all these great pictures afterward. Um, and uh, especially from the reception. The reception was all of us walking back through the rain, back over to the pub <laughs> and uh, standing around because every, everybody had uh, sought the pub out as a refuge from the rain. So it is packed and standing room only now and um, all kinds of hot as you get all these wet, drippy people <laughs> crowded into this small space. Uh, it was just such a fun day. And um, fun because we hadn't planned on it. I mean, what an honor that they would meet us and then as strangers invite us to be there on this special day. Um, And all because we asked a question and they took a chance. I mean, they didn't have to respond kindly to American strangers poking into their business. But they just, you know, with open arms were like, hey, let's tell you our life story, and will you please come be there <laughs> on this special day? And it was really a privilege and an honor. Um, and I look back and, and think, one reason that could happen is because none of us were in a hurry. We couldn't be. We were in such a small place where you, nobody hurries to get there or to leave there. It's just things were a little bit slower, and it allowed time for the relationship to develop, long conversation, and uh, we've been in touch with them several times since getting back over here. Wow, it's great to hear that whole story. Uh, I saw the mentions of that on social media and to get to hear the full story. And amazing to be getting married after 47 years and then your best man is someone you met not even 24 hours before. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the things that you will get to know about people just by <laughs> connecting with them uh, in, in a new place. So tell me about uh, somebody else that you met while you were there. Yeah, so another couple that stands out is uh, they were named Alan and Sally. We met them uh, as we were walking on the Cotswold Way uh, at a, in a little village called Woodmancote. And um, uh, the church was uh, Woodmancote Church. On a Sunday morning, we, we had a rest day. We walked down this mountain uh, we were staying on called Cleve Hill, and uh, the church was just at the bottom at the foot of the mountain. And as I describe it, you could form an impression of what you think it might have been like. There were about 15 or 20 people at the church, a small one-room building. The music was recorded. The, the pastor would press a button on his jam box to play the next song. Uh, and the songs were in this crazy range of styles. Um, and Trisha and I were probably the youngest people there. And when I describe it that way, you might assume that this was kind of a dead place. It was absolutely full of life and joy. All of these people are on fire for Jesus. Um, and it was so refreshing to be in, in that place and, and, and uh, the joy that they had. We met Alan and Sally that morning. They, were, they wanted to invite us to have a meal with them afterward, but, but they had other obligations. So they sent us an email. You know, we filled out the uh, Woodman Coat Church equivalent of the little yellow connection card we have here at InTown. 
and uh, put the email address on it. And they emailed us and wanted to get together to have dinner. Well, we're constantly walking further and further away from where they live. Like each day we're walking another 10 or 15 miles. By the time we can connect with them, they had to drive an hour uh, to eat dinner with us. Now, to you and me, that may not seem like much. But in, in Great Britain, driving an hour is a big deal. Um, and so they drove an hour to have dinner with us. They brought their dog. We spent three hours over a meal in, in the pub of the night and um, got to hear stories of how they met and were married and of Alan's service as a councilman in London. Uh, which involved his taking positions on a few issues that led to death threats, and and just to see the courage that they displayed, um, and their trust in Christ in the middle of this really trying season, uh, was really amazing. Um, and one of the broader themes that came out of our trip, we had been prepared for this by living in Scotland a couple of decades ago, but in a post-Christian culture as Great Britain is now and as the U.S. is becoming more and more, people are genuinely excited to meet other, other Christians, people who share their faith. Um, and I think at InTown we take it for granted that we can gather in groups of hundreds of people on a Sunday morning to worship and and in many of the places where we were, you, you would have to gather the churches from several towns to get several hundred Christians together. And you realize that's something we take for granted. No one in those places would take that for granted. Um, so there's a real sense of brotherhood and sisterhood that's almost immediate that would explain why this couple who just met us would want to drive an hour just to have dinner together. Uh, there was a sweetness there and a sense of, of vitality in our relationships as believers that um, I hope we don't lose, even though we're back here now. Uh, that's a great lesson for us to uh, understand uh, here in America. Uh, and uh, in a lot of ways, we will have, a, have similar experiences uh, as are now in, in Great Britain. Um, great that you can make that uh, connection. Um, how about one other uh, relationship that uh, was new on this trip? We got to meet uh, a couple named Rich and Ann. We, we met them on our first walk. And um, because we were walking and following the same path, uh, we would you know, pass each other two or three times during the day. They might be stopping for a lunch break and we pass through or, or vice versa. Uh, and then we're walking to these small villages where there's literally only one place to get something to eat. So we wind up sitting down in the same restaurant. And uh, one night uh, we were seated in a very noisy place. And Trisha requested, because I have hearing problems, that, that we could sit somewhere quieter. So they put us away in what's called a snug. It's, uh, it's this private dining room uh, in a pub. And uh, we were in there by ourselves and we passed by Rich and Ann and their table on the way and just asked if they'd be interested in joining us. And that's when our friendship began. Otherwise, we had just been, you know, people walking on the same path. But after that night, we started to uh, spend more time with one another during the day and be more intentional about spending that time together. Uh, so that by the end of that 100-mile walk, um, 
we uh, we planned to have a celebration meal together. Now, it would have been easy for them to say, we're going to go do our own celebration by ourselves. But they were happy to include us in that. And um, the most beautiful part of the story is... Uh, they had to go back to work <laughs> and uh but but we had much more walking to do and our final walk was finishing up not very far from their home so they took time off work rode a bus and walked um they started at the end of our walk for the day and walked toward us and so um we met them and then we finished our final leg of the journey together um and when we saw them coming the other way and just started sprinting toward us these are people that we've only known for a few weeks um and there was this just amazing moment of of their wanting to wanting to see us through to the end um and to be with us and so we got to share another celebration meal with them at the end of that walk as well, and we we've been in touch with them a good bit since uh, since being back here, and it's just a beautiful friendship, and we're so grateful for that opportunity to connect with them. Wow, and such an unexpected way to have uh, developed that relationship over time of seeing each other and then sharing a meal and and getting to know each other even more. So I know that you had an opportunity to uh, have your travels overlap with uh, some friends from here in the U.S. Can you share just a little bit about what the, what you did with them? Trisha and I are involved with a group called Inklings Abroad that does a, a two-week trip to the U.K. every year uh, focused on studying the writings of C.S. Lewis, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, and other authors thinking about the intersection of, of uh, beauty, creativity, and um, the faith that these writers had that shaped the way they viewed the world and, the, and their imaginations. Um, and so several folks from in town were on that trip this year, and uh, we were delighted uh, to be able to connect with them. And being together with, there were about 30 people on that trip this year, um, being together with that many people created some special opportunities one of the things that we do on that trip is to go to the church in Oxford called St. Mary's Church, uh, where C.S. Lewis preached a sermon called The Weight of Glory. And we uh, find a quiet spot in the church as a group, and we sit down and we take turns reading uh, paragraphs from that sermon to one another. And it's a powerful thing to read by yourself. Uh, it would be a powerful thing to sit in that place and read it by yourself. It's way more powerful uh, to sit with other people and share that. Uh, and then we got to do a similar thing going to uh, Trinity Church outside Oxford, where Lewis was a mem member for decades, and we read the last chapter of his book called The Last Battle, um, his imagination of, of kind of new heavens and new earth glory um, at the return of Jesus. And again, just sharing that moment with other people, friends, uh, new friends we were forming on that trip, old friends that we've known for decades, people we love uh, from here at in town. It made those moments uh, even more special to share them together. So, Jimmy, what's the takeaway for you and that we can uh, also learn along with you from these experiences? I go back to this quote from C.S. Lewis. It, 
it's found in that sermon called The Weight of Glory. Um, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Um, another one of my favorite writers, Francis Schaeffer, said something similar. He said, there are no little people. Uh, Lewis goes on to unpack that and say, you know, the, the, the most boring and uninteresting person you ever meet if they have faith in Jesus, then one day they're going to be transformed into somebody so glorious that if you saw them now, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship them. Um, and uh, just remembering that perspective on the worth of a human life and uh, not taking it for granted that, uh, that I have opportunity to interact with people all day, every day. Um, it is always true that there are no ordinary people. It is always true that I've never talked to a mere mortal. It was easier for us to remember that during our time away on sabbatical. Um, it was easier for us to see it and experience it, but it's always true throughout normal, ordinary days here in Atlanta. So we've tried to bring that back with us into our, our everyday. So Jimmy, as we're wrapping up, uh, this series of episodes on uh, your trip. Um, how has life changed for you since you've come back? You just mentioned how you've brought these truths back. How, how, is, how has life changed? We're being much more intentional about spending time with people. Um, we are being much more intentional about rest, um, whether that's carving out five or ten minutes during a day or whether it's making sure that I don't let my Sabbath day off, which for me is a Friday as a pastor. Sunday Sabbaths are hard to come by. Um, making sure that I don't give that away to too many other things and, and find some real time to rest and reflect. Um, and I find that we are trying to observe the natural world. Um, driving around Atlanta is not the same thing as walking a public footpath in a foreign country. <laughs> um, but there are trees everywhere. There are birds to listen to everywhere we go. The signs that God is a good creator are everywhere. If we'll slow down to listen and to look, um, those are some of the things that, that I can see cropping up in the day-to-day -day, uh, because we had that chance to refuel during our sabbatical. And final question, um, is there a deeper truth about rest? that others can learn from your experiences? I think one thing I'd like to say there is that maybe pastors are part of a small group of people who get to take extended sabbaticals, and maybe you, you feel like you would never get to do that if you aren't a pastor. Just remembering God's design, He made us a deal as His people. He said, if you will work for six days, I will give you seven days' worth of life. Every week we have an opportunity for a sabbatical, uh, a, an opportunity to, to pull back from our normal everyday routines and uh, the things that we have to do to kind of put food on the table. And God says, I'll put food on your table that day. Um, and um, just kind of remembering the preciousness of that rhythm of life uh, once every seven days. Some pastors, eh, once every seven years, I get an extended sabbatical. But um, once every seven days, God offers us that. And um, I think I'm more mindful of accepting that invitation uh, 
more regularly now. I encourage us all to to dig into that a little deeper. Yeah, that's a great note to end on, Jimmy. Well, thank you so much for sharing these stories and giving us a a, a window into your time away. Uh, we're so glad to have you back uh, and get to look forward to the year ahead. Uh, and thank you uh, for listening uh, these three episodes. Look forward to getting to do this another time soon.